Please open your Bibles to 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3. You saw this verse recently. Repetition helps us remember things, and these verses should be remembered because the world is willingly ignorant of them. 2 Peter chapter 3. I'm standing on a pulpit, and my Bible is resting on a pulpit. The first reference to the pulpit as it's used in the Bible, the second to the way that we use the word pulpit. And so I've opened the Word of God, and you have it in your hands, unlike those in Nehemiah's day. And so I want to read distinctly three verses here in 2 Peter 3, beginning at verse 5. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. Three verses, three huge events in the history of the world. In verse 5, creation by the word of God. God said, let there be light, let there be firmament, let there be water, let the waters be gathered. Verse 5 is all about creation. And they're ignorant of the God of creation, who in verse 6 flooded the world 1,656 years after creation and destroyed every living thing, everything that had the breath of life except for Noah and his family and those few animals he took on board the ark. Whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word, that same God, and his spoken power of his word, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. So, tomorrow's gonna, today's going to end, and tomorrow's going to start. And the world is going to look like it has continued without a change. Because notice verse 4. Scoffers say, where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. Wrong. Things haven't continued as they were from the beginning of the creation. There was a flood, and there's going to be a dissolving and melting of this earth. And they are willingly ignorant of it by not recognizing the event that took place in the days of Noah. Noah is the bridge in verses 5, 6, and 7. He stands in verse 6. He's the bridge. God promised there wouldn't be a worldwide flood of water, but there will be a worldwide fire that melts all the elements with fervent heat. And so remember these verses here. Let us never be willingly ignorant. Now, when we look at Noah, we do have a man's character that we can consider when we didn't have such a privilege or blessing in Adam's life. This man was very important as all men are traced back through Noah and his sons. Do you realize that all mankind can be reduced to one blood and one father twice? It's just, it's an interesting thing that God has done. And while we look at that wicked generation that was destroyed before the flood, 
Did it take very long for that wicked generation to reestablish itself in a whole new set of faces and names? No. That's the depravity of man. And we don't want to forget that. He's an important man in the Bible. There are two geological worlds in the Bible, and Noah is their bridge. There's the one God created and drowned, and there's the one that God is sustaining right now. And if you think everything is continuing, it's continuing because he's holding it in store. He is waiting till he can burn it up. And he will burn it up. And we ought to live a certain way because of that, as 2 Peter 3 goes on to tell us. There are four chapters for Noah and his ark in the Bible. Chapters 6 through 9 of Genesis. The patriarchs before him only got a few verses. By the way, what was Noah from Adam? Tenth. The tenth from Adam counting inclusively, like the way that Jude counts inclusively in the book of Jude about Enoch. Noah made the hall of faith along with Abel and Enoch from the first ten patriarchs. Noah against the world is a great example for us to stand against the world and all their wickedness and all their denial of all the things that we know to be true. They declare that creation is wrong and a fairy tale and a fable of poor people that need religion for a crutch to get through life on. And we know that creation is true and evolution is a lie. We know the flood occurred. And if they would do a little bit of research, most societies in the history of the world that have been around for a while have tradition, oral tradition, or written tradition, that there was a worldwide flood. Confirming the Bible. Noah was used by our Lord and the apostles for examples and lessons of godliness. To fully appreciate God's covenant with Noah, which came after he got off the ark, you've got to put yourself in Noah's shoes to fully appreciate it and think what it was like coming down that gangplank to an empty world. There was no life. Could this happen again? Would God do this to me again? Are the animals going to devour us now that they've grown for another year and they're going to start to multiply even further? The wickedness that's in the hearts of my sons, is it going to burst forth and result in murder? And so we have capital punishment, we have murder and capital punishment addressed right off the bat. We have animals addressed right off the bat. We have greater means of production right off the bat. God is good. God is good, especially when it's a covenant man walking down the gangplank. Even if the other seven, there's no goodness written about them in the Bible. There is goodness written about Noah. And men, strength and honor. It's a shame the Lord had to use those words as a descriptive phrase for the virtuous woman. (laughs) Let's be virtuous men. And claim that strength and honor. Let's be like Noah. And let's condemn the generation that we live in in the the world by our actions. He built an ark. When they asked, what are you building the ark for? Because the creator God is going to drown you and the entire earth's population. So he condemned the world by his actions and he condemned the world by his words because he was a preacher of righteousness for about 120 years. We estimate based on God and what it says in 2nd, we're close. 2nd Peter 2.5, we're very close. 2nd Peter 2.5, God spared not the old world, but saved Noah the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. This is our God. 
I have preached about the ark before. I've preached about the flood before. I have knocked on my pulpit before. And you all, most of you know what those things mean. What a God we worship. Not only did he set up that first covenant and everyone died. You know, when we were in Genesis 5 and Adam and the days of Adam were 930 years and he died. And Seth, and he died. There was all that, but we only get to chapter 6 and we have a worldwide deluge that drowned and suffocated every person and animal on earth. It didn't matter age, sex, or situation. God drowned the earth. And that's the God we worship. He's holy. But he sent a savior for us. And he didn't for the angels, which makes the everlasting covenant. We're the beneficiaries of it, not the angels. We are blessed abundantly. I've spent enough time on Hebrews 11.7. Let me list off 10 other character traits of Noah, just since we're introducing the man to ourselves. While we're here in Peter, before I forget and have you turn away, flip over to 1 Peter chapter 3 to find out more about Noah the preacher. Noah preached by what spirit? The spirit of Christ that was in him way back then. Now this is a difficult passage. I'm just going to tell you what it means, and you can look at it later. I've been over this before with you. It says in verse 18 of 1 Peter 3, Christ also hath once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. You know what that verse means. He was raised from the dead and resurrected by the Spirit of God. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison which sometime were disobedient, when once the long-suffering of God waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was a-preparing, wherein few, that is, eight souls were saved by water. Now this interesting combination of verses is teaching that there was a 120-year waiting period. And the Lord mentions that to Noah in, in Genesis chapter 6. The days of man are going to be 120 years. And when he said that, that is not the life expectancy that we should have by buying everything GNC wants to sell you. Did GNC go bankrupt? Or is it, I don't know. It doesn't matter. It, it is bankrupt. But because sin is the cause of death and decay, not, it's not because you didn't take your vitamins. It's sin. And so there was 120 years that Noah was a preacher and Noah warned and Noah built. That was a big project. It had rooms, it had floors, it had a covering, and it was 450 feet by 75 feet by 45 feet. It was a big box. It wasn't a boat. Whenever you see a boat with a bow and a stern, you've got a problem. It was a box. And there were eight people saved in it. And God had long-suffering. What was his long-suffering? Putting up with a wicked world that he wanted to drown earlier, but he waited until Noah had a safe place to be in it before he drowned the world. But it says in verse 19, by which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now who was the preacher? It was Noah. What spirit did he preach by? The Holy Spirit. There's only been one spirit that's ever been in the preachers of God. Did he preach to the spirits in prison when they were in prison? Or did he preach to the spirits before the flood that are now in prison? The latter is your choice. He didn't go to... Do you know how this passage is corrupted in the Apostles' Creed? <laughs> Jesus descended into hell and preached unto the spirits in prison. 
but this is preaching that was done in the days while the ark was being built, and those spirits are now in prison. Enough about that. Enough about that. Been over that before. Some character traits of Noah. He was a godly man, just and perfect compared to his peers, and he walked with God. He had fellowship with God. He was not content to know about God, but he walked with God like Enoch did. And that's what I want for all of you and for me. Faith. He believed God even in things that had no confirmation of experience or by others. Obedient. He did exactly what God told him to do, no matter how difficult or strange. And the Bible tells us that very specifically, thus did Noah, exactly as God told him to do. He was a reprover. He reproved the world. He reproved sinners. He didn't just want to get along. He warned them by his word and deed of preaching righteousness and building a lifeboat. A lifeboat means something bad's going to happen. So I call the, the ark a lifeboat, even though it wasn't a boat. It was, a, it was called an ark. An ark is a box, whenever it's used in the Bible. He was diligent. The ark project he was given was enormous, and it took him 120 years. He was worshipful. As soon as he got off the ark, he offered sacrifices that pleased God well in God's heart. He was a leader. He saved his family by his faithfulness and righteousness as one of the five great men in the Bible. He did not... He was not overly infatuated with his children, so he didn't overlook the wickedness of Ham or his grandson Canaan, but cursed Canaan for the sin of Ham. He was bold. He got off the ark and went to work as a farmer, planting a vineyard and multiplying with his children. Do you know what it was like getting off that ark? What was, in the st- what was on the shelves in the store? What QT have at that time? There was nothing. But he went to work. He became a farmer. The Bible tells us that. A husbandman. And he planted a vineyard. And so we know a little bit about Noah. Noah did this 1,656 years after the Adamic covenant that we covered this morning. So another quarter of the years of the earth's history. So Adam's at the beginning, and God made a covenant with him that has affected everyone since. Then God made a covenant with Noah about a quarter of the way through the history of the world at 1,656 years. And then he's going to make one with Abraham, which is 352 years later. And that's going to be a third of the way through the earth's history. 2,100 years of earth's history wrapped up in these 20 patriarchs. And we're looking at Adam, the covenant with him, which was only bad news except what it foretold And then we have the covenant with Noah right here, and then one with Abraham, which we'll look at next Lord's Day, the Lord willing. The Bible says Shem, Ham, and Japheth. If I were to ask you the three sons of Noah, I think you would probably say Shem, Ham, and Japheth. But I like this world history chart down here. If you come and look at it, you'll find out that Japheth is first, and Shem is not because Shem was not the firstborn. Shem was just listed first, and we say it first because he was the most important, because he was God's line of the covenant men. And that's that's through the Bible. And you want to get used to that, or you'll make errors. Look at Job 22. Let's see if we can find the flood in Job. Everybody should know about the flood living way back there with Job, Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, and Elihu. Job 22 this time. It's Eliphaz speaking. Verse 15, Hast thou marked the old way 
which wicked men have trodden. Remember, these three buddies are always trying to tell Job the reason this bad stuff is happening in your life is because you're a sinner. You're a secret sinner, and you've hid your wickedness from us, but you can't hide it from God, and so he's judging you like he has judged other wicked men in the past. Here goes Eliphaz. What comforters they were. The Bible does mock them for that lack of ability. 22.15, Hast thou marked the old way which wicked men have trodden? Job, you wicked man, you ought to look back at the wicked men in the generation of the flood, which were cut down out of time, before their time, by an accidental death from their standpoint, but not from God's, whose foundation was overflown with a flood, which said unto God, Depart from us, and what can the Almighty do for them? Yet he filled their houses with good things, but the counsel of the wicked is far from me. The righteous see it and are glad, and the innocent laugh them to scorn. Whereas our substance is not cut down, but the remnant of them the fire consumeth. And he just talks about total destruction of the wicked. But the point I want out of the verse is not the bad character of the friends of Job, but the statement about a flood over... What's the word used? Overflown, overflowing with a flood. There in Job 22. The first eight uses of the word covenant in the Bible are God's covenant with Noah. First one's in chapter 6, and the other seven are in chapter 9. The one in chapter 6 is, a, is foretelling the covenant. I'm going to make a covenant with you. It's future tense. Because it wasn't until a year transpired when they were in the ark that he made the covenant after they got off. And the main covenant is, I will not do this again. And to prove that I'm not going to do it again, I'm going to give myself a reminder. When you look at a rainbow, I want you to remember that Genesis chapter 9 doesn't just say it's to remind us that God's not going to send a flood again. It's to remind God. And God, call, God says, when I put that bow in the clouds, I'll look at it and I'll remember that I made a promise that I wouldn't drown the earth with a flood again. That's just so comforting. And you know, a covenant is between two parties. And so God is saying, as a sign, seal, and token, uh, he calls it a token of this covenant, I'm going to put my bow in the clouds. And when I see the bow, I'll remember. Now, what does it take to see a bow? A little bit of rain. A little bit of rain to see the bow. I won't send a whole lot of rain, and I won't open up the windows of heaven if there's any left to open up, and I won't up, open up the fountains of the deep to, to drown the earth again with a worldwide deluge. And so when you look at that rainbow, remember that God knows about the rainbow, and he looks at it every time. He sees every rainbow. I won't do that again. And did we learn something in Isaiah 54 that that rainbow is supposed to tell us something else as well? In Isaiah 54, 9, are we supposed to remember that God's covenant with Noah and that rainbow is, has the same certainty of fulfillment as his covenant with his church? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. It was an unconditional covenant. Let's get back to Genesis now. Genesis. You know about Genesis chapter 6. The earth was violent, and they had corrupted God's way upon the earth. And Noah only in his generations found grace in the eyes of the Lord. No one else is mentioned. We do not know why Methuselah died that year. He could have drowned in the flood in an old folks' home at the age of 969. We're not told. He was in the covenant line, but to be in the covenant line does not mean that you're one of God's elect. 
Genesis 6, you're familiar with it. I do want you to remember that when it starts, it begins with sons of God marrying daughters of men. We understand that very simply and very easily as there being affinity made between the descendants of Seth, Enos, and the righteous covenant line and the wicked line of Cain and others. That's what we believe about that. Because it starts right off with sons of God marrying daughters of men. We do not believe in angels coming down and having sex with women. They would have no interest in it whatsoever, and it talks about marriage. I'm still curious as to what took place in the dating parlors of these women before the flood when the angels came down and knocked on the door and said, may I take your daughter on a date? And the girl's father said, what are you made of? It's just, it's just bizarre that anyone would believe it. And if you're going to believe one lie, that there were mongrels before the flood that were the result of angel sex with earthly women, then you've got to believe it again after the flood because they find the same creatures in Numbers chapter 13. So you've got Rephilim on both sides of the flood, and yet the Lord says, everything that hath breath died in the flood. See, so if you're going to invent one lie, you're going to need another one to cover it if you're going to use that ridiculous word Nephilim. Forget that. Why did I even say it? You've got documents on our website about the Nephilim that have two or three arguments as to why they're not true. Something like 55. We don't believe junk like that in this church. Do you remember the picture, the slide that I put up? What is the whole idea of the Nephilim? And I had one object on that slide. A giant Q-tip. Don't you remember? I had a giant Q-tip. Because it says they're going to turn their ears away from hearing the sound doctrine and the truth of God's words, and they're going to have lust for the itching ears. So you need a Q-tip, and the Nephilim's a Q-tip. Lord, thank you for saving us. You want to get a real... See, there's a real lesson here. And the real lesson is God hates his covenant children marrying worldly women. This isn't about the ark. It's about what happens after the ark. Let's come over to the end of chapter 8. Genesis chapter 8. If you want to know about the ark, then do what Sherry and I did for devotions last night. We added to it. We went back to the year 2001 and listened to a sermon called Noah's Ark. Charlie, I heard your laughter. Jim, I heard your amens. We had fun that night. It was a big box. And it was made to go in only one direction. Up, yes, to float. It went up. It's a great story. How many, how many miles of water did this earth have covering it? And it got here in 40 days. It was 750 feet a day. That's three feet an hour. That's an inch every two minutes. Wow. It was, anyway, if you want to do that this afternoon, we had pleasure adding that to preparation last night because I'm not going to deal with that right now. I just want to talk about what happened when Noah walked down the gangplank and came off the ark. 
Verse 18, And Noah went forth, and his sons, and his wife, and his sons' wives with him. After God told him he could leave. Verse 20, And Noah built an altar unto the Lord. Remember, he was worshipful. Are you as the head of your home? Do you always come up with, let's pray. Let's read. Let's worship. Let's sing. Are you like Noah? I want you all to be like Noah. I want to be like Noah. Let's pray at the beginning of meals. Let's pray at the end of meals. Why not? It's just a good reminder to pray again. Let's be worshipful. Noah builded an altar unto the Lord and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Did that mean that the clean fowls and the clean beasts would not be able to reproduce because one of them was taken? Or were there seven pairs? Seven pairs, 14 of the clean animals and birds. And the Lord smelled a sweet savour. Do you know that you can worship God and he can smell a sweet savour? And more so in our testament, at least we know why in our testament, because of our covenant, it is through the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ makes all of our sacrifices acceptable to God. 1 Peter 2, 5. And the Lord smelled a sweet savour, and the Lord said in his heart, I want the Lord talking in his heart about this church, about you men, about me. I want the Lord God to talk in his heart. Let's give him the worship. Let's give him the praise. Let's give him the obedience. Let's show him the faith and fear that we have. Let's condemn the world. Let's lead our families and our houses and save them. And the Lord said in his heart, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake, for the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite any more everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. And we just sang that in the song, Great is thy faithfulness. A very scriptural song. Because of the things that God said in chapter 8 and verse 21, I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. Let's go back and remind you of verse 29 in chapter 5 when the father of Noah named him. And that helps us. What was the name of Noah's father? That's Abraham. Terah is the father of Abraham. We have Lamech. This is a wonder. Wow, what a prophecy. I just read you the fulfillment first. But now we come back. Two weeks ago is when I mentioned this to you the first time. Genesis 5, 28. And Lamech lived in 180 and two years and begat a son. And he called his name Noah. Rest or comfort saying, This same shall comfort us concerning our work and toil of our hands because of the ground which the Lord hath cursed. And so we have the prophecy given, and we have the fulfillment in chapter 8. The Lord smelled a sweet savour. The Lord said in his heart, I've been so rough on these sinners, they can't get better. So why do I have to abuse them? I'm going to show them some benevolence. And so he shows it to the whole earth. It's not just the righteous that get the benevolence of a high-producing ground, but so does the rest of the world, so that Paul would mention it in Acts chapter 14. Now, I went over these things, but I'm going over them again. I don't want you to forget them. One of my favorite proofs of the existence of God is called providence. 
And part of God's providence is what he does when he sends sunshine and rain and causes the earth to produce lots of food so that men's hearts are filled with food and gladness. Your food doesn't really go in your heart, but when you have a good meal, you sure feel good and you're thankful and you're contented and it's a wonderful feeling. And the Bible knows about that and it is to declare that God is good. God is good. He's very good. And he had been rough on the earth because of Adam and because of Cain. Did you notice when I read this morning, from Genesis chapter 4, 11 and 12, Cain, you're going to be a vagabond in the earth because you were a tiller of the ground and you brought the fruit of the ground to me as an offering when I wanted a blood sacrifice. It is not going to yield its strength. Now, wait a minute. I thought God had cursed the earth for Noah's sake. He had. He cursed it incrementally more for Cain's sake because he was a violent man. And so it wasn't even going to bring forth in its strength that it did under Adam. It says that. Genesis chapter 4. There's two curses upon the ground. Now, what was the earth filled with before the flood? Violence. And so God says, I'm not going to curse the ground anymore. And boy, did it bring forth. Do you know that the Bible tells us that there was a land of Canaan that it's called the land of flowing with flowing, flowing. You didn't even have to go to Publix for it. It was just flowing, flowing with milk and honey. Do you know that it says that the, the basin around the River Jordan, where Sodom and Gomorrah were, remember Lot lifted up his eyes, <laughs> no, no, and he went towards Sodom because it was prosperous. It says it was like the Garden of God and like the Nile Delta in Egypt. I just want you to know that. I want, I want you to know that if you look through the Bible, God does send his sunshine and rain and has caused the earth to bring forth. And don't tell me about how hard it is to earn a loaf of bread. The average man in here can earn a loaf of bread, one pound loaf of bread, with one minute of work. Incredible. I wonder how much of that cost isn't even the bread, but the packaging, the distribution, transportation, advertising on its little sleeve that it's in, putting it on the shelf, real estate taxes, and insurance for the employees of the store where it's sold. Amazing what the Lord's done. And we, we just, you know, when you go in to look for a loaf of bread, do, you, do we have to stand in bread lines? Yes, we do. It's a line of bread. I, I hate going to the store. I hardly ever go to a grocery store because there's this sign with an arrow, bread. And you look down and you have 100 choices. You can just sweep them off into your cart. All kinds. Some have cinnamon. Some have sugar. Some have raisins. Not for me. <laughs> Lord's blessed us. Amen. Do you believe that he's good? He's always good. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name, who satisfieth thy mouth with good things. And it, it happened right here. And do you know why it happened? Because there was a worshipful man who lived righteously and was just and perfect in his generations. God has chosen for you and me to be in a bad generation. Let's stand up and be counted in a bad generation so that God will talk in his heart and say, I want to bless the Church of Greenville. I want to bless the Jones, the Carnell, and the Doring family. I want to bless the Crosby family. I want to bless that whole church. Let's be a worshipful church. 
Let's sell I love talking about bread. You know I could go off for a, a while talking about bread because of the Lord's goodness. And it was a prophecy, and it's right there in 529, and there is a fulfillment. And I gave you a little bit more information about it, that there was incremental, incremental cursing of the ground for Cain. And so there can be incremental unwinding of it as well. And the Lord did that because he said, I'm not going to do it anymore. And so what, what profession did Noah choose when he got off the ark? Farming, because it's going to work. Are you, why didn't he kill the clean animals? I mean, he can, he can eat some clean animals now. When I was listening to that sermon on the ark from 19 years ago, I asked, how many rabbits did Noah take onto the ark? Two. What kind? A boy and a girl. How many rabbits came off? We don't know. He chose farming. And he planted a vineyard. We are at Genesis chapter 9. God is offering up blessings before he even gets to the covenant. He's offering up blessings. He smells Noah's worship, and he says, I'm not going to do this to, to the earth again. I'm not going to flood it with water like this. The seasons are going to be here. Do you know what? A farmer can count on that 22nd verse. While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. There is no doubt in his mind that when he puts the seed in the ground, and it's only 45 degrees, I don't know anything about planting seeds in the ground, okay? Any errors, just chalk it up to an inexperienced man in the pulpit. But if it's 45 degrees in March or April when he puts seed in the ground, I don't even know if those are the right months. When he puts seed in the ground, do you know what he knows is going to happen? Heat's coming. Heat's coming, rain's coming. Do you know when it's so hot that he doesn't want to leave his hammock? He knows that cold's coming, and he's going to be able to harvest in the fall. And the Bible talks about these things in verses of Proverbs and verses of Psalms about God's goodness in farming. Then he blessed them. Do you know this is the first word, the first time we have a blessing in the Bible since Adam? Verse 1 of chapter 9, and God blessed Noah. These are good things coming out of his mouth and out of his heart. What he said about the ground, what he said about the seasons, what he said about growing and farming. And then he blessed them and he said, be fruitful and multiply, replenish the earth. I'm going to change. Don't worry about these animals. Okay. Did the animals before the flood probably fear man? Probably. Why? Because God said, I give you dominion over them. But what changed? What changed is for one year and ten days worth of time, and that is that God brought the animals in a docile manner to go on the ark. Noah did not have to go chase them down and haul them in with chains. He didn't have to use a come-along with an elephant. He didn't have to use a come-along with, with a lion. The, the Lord said to him, don't worry, I'm going to bring them to you. It's chapter 6, verses 19 and 20, and it's mentioned a couple of other places. So the animals appear to have been very docile at that point. But Noah, from 600 years of experience before the flood, knew what they could be like and knew that they would multiply very rapidly. And back in these days, animals were a thing to fear. And the Bible mentions them. There was a lion in the street. See, we don't ever say that. 
We just say, that's a hard boss. But that there's a lion in the street, that, that, was a, that was an excuse that could have some validity. But the Lord said, don't worry. I'm going to put fear of them in you. And you know, if you would always remember that about animals, they fear you more than you fear them most of the time. It's the most of the time that can be dangerous if it's a big animal. And so the Lord says that. The Lord's comforting Noah and blessing him. The fear of you in verse 2. All the fishes into your hand, they're delivered. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you. I'm going to let you eat more now. You can eat meat. You can have sandwiches. You can take your bread and put some meat between it. You can kill animals and eat them. And that is easier. It's easier to sit in the shade and watch sheep graze on grass and forage for grass and find... Listen, let's use goats. Goats can find grass anywhere. Goats can eat lots of things. And you can sit in the shade and watch them and just cut, whittle. Whittle on a piece of wood. Then you can butcher them and eat them. It's a whole lot easier. And that's how we eat our salads. Right, Marianne? In a good piece of meat. That's how we eat salad. And so the Lord is just... We're not even to the covenant yet. And I've only got a few minutes. But you know what the covenant is. I'm not going to drown the earth anymore. But look what he's throwing out just to get things started. Every moving thing that liveth shall be meat for you, even as the green herb have I given you all things. But flesh with the life thereof, which is the blood thereof, shall ye not eat. Blood, blood has had a significant role all the way from when he killed animals for coats of skins. And the Lord wants you to think about blood because his son is going to shed his blood. And surely your blood will I require at the hand of every beast will I require it, and at the hand of man. Noah knew about the violence that was in the earth that men love to kill each other. Paul said about himself, because he was honest, he said, we ourselves were sometimes foolish, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. Titus chapter 3, the first three verses, Noah would have known that with 600 years of experience. How many murderers repented and joined Noah on the ark? How many conversions did Noah have in 120 years? The combination of the audience and the message. There's a God in heaven that is going to drown you with something you haven't seen before. And see, the Lord's coming back with fire that they haven't seen before, and they don't want to believe that. And if it weren't for the grace of God, we would reject the preaching of the gospel as fast as Noah's generation rejected him. Because the preaching of the cross is them that perish, foolishness, and Noah telling them about rain and a flood was foolishness. Whoso sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God made he man. And you, be ye fruitful and multiply, but no, he's provided all their food. He's provided seasons that they can plan and schedule their lives around it. And he's told them, don't you dare kill each other. And now I've given you meat so that your lives can be easier. Look at these. We're not even to the covenant. These are blessings thrown in. Did we just sing a song, Great is Thy Faithfulness, that he's done this and this and this, and 10,000 beside? Is that the God you worship? Lord, we know that that's the God we worship. We, we can't number them up to thee, and you know we can't. 
but we wish we could. And we give thee from thankful hearts our praise and gratefulness for the 10,000 charms that are in the Savior's arms and in every day of our lives. Look at these blessings. Verse 8, we get to the covenant. And God spake unto Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you and with every living creature that is with you of the fowl of the cattle and, and of every beast of the earth with you from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And then God said, this is my token. I'm going to put a bow in the clouds. And we know that it is refracted light and it's beautiful. And we don't have to spiritualize this very much because it is a practical blessing and a practical promise to Noah as you come down that gangplank and take up living again in this world and you know that there isn't a whole lot of righteousness in the seven that are part of your family, you know that there's going to be sin breaking forth. I will not drown the earth like that again. You're going to have seed time and harvest every year. You're going to have hot and cold. Take up farming. I'm going to bless it. Take up some herds and some flocks and eat them as well. And don't, and don't let murder stand anywhere. Kill every murderer so that you can multiply and replenish the earth. There's all these blessings. Tremendous. And then this one, I will not do this again. But we know by greater light and progressive revelation that Jesus Christ is coming to destroy the world with fire. Farm yields are from God. Even the farm wisdom to know how to treat each kind of Grain is from God, isn't it? We learned that in Isaiah 28. God didn't need to make a covenant with Noah. He did it by his glorious grace. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah didn't say, here's my sacrifice, Lord. Please don't send a flood again. We don't read anything about that. God just did it on his own. And that didn't make it just with Noah. He made it with all the animals as well. And they couldn't perform any conditions. It was an unconditional promise of kindness. God further comforted all men by reducing the curse on the ground and other changes, a few of which I've just related to you. The relationship between man and animals. Let us never be willingly ignorant of these things. Our world is... When you go in the grocery store, go to the bread aisle and see how easy. One minute, a pound of bread. Are there any indications of the everlasting covenant? I know what time it is, and I know that you know. Should we, should we see indications of the everlasting covenant here in the covenant of Noah? Now, this gets better. See, it was hard to squeeze out of the covenant with Adam, things for the covenant of grace and the everlasting covenant. Just listen to this. I'm just going to read some of them to you. God gratuitously, that means by grace, saved by the ark and promised no future floods just as gratuitously by pure grace. Noah wasn't perfect. However, the universal flood with a few saved portends the soon conflagration of the earth and the universe and the salvation of some in a day that's coming. The righteous judgment of God was a terrible thing exposing sin and his holiness. 
Preaching does no good in a wicked world without divine grace opening hearts to it. Thank you, Lord, for that. Hearing gospel promises like God's covenant to Noah is very comforting. Do you know how much these blessings and this covenant would have comforted the man? We should be more comforted whenever we hear about the Lord Jesus Christ, the second Adam, and what he's done for us. Noah, like Jesus, saved his family by faith and fear to condemn the world. Does it say that Jesus feared in the same way that Noah did? It's Hebrews 5 and verse 6, in case you're wondering. He, Jesus didn't fear death, and Noah didn't fear the flood. What did they both fear? The God that sent both, and that they were going to, going to obey him. No matter how terrible God's wrath is, his covenant faithfulness will save his elect. But let's go back in Noah's life. The ability to walk with God and please God like Enoch is a gift from heaven. For God to make himself known to individual men. God can make himself known to every individual man in this church that will seek his face and worship him and be righteous and just and perfect in your generation. And the Lord's put us in a bad generation. We can shine. He preserved the promised line of the seed of the woman through Noah. I find the word Noah, the name Noah in Luke chapter 3, in the biological genealogy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We have, there's a seed of a woman promised in Genesis chapter 3. But if the whole earth is destroyed in Genesis 6 through 9, where's the seed of the woman? It's on that ark. And Noah is mentioned in the genealogy of Mary because Luke traces it all the way back to Adam to make sure we get the seed of the woman as prophesied in Genesis 3. God chose the exact number of elect in eternity and he closed the door of the ark and he closed election. He picked the number. Peter taught that Noah taught his generation by the spirit of Christ, which we get to hear from the apostles and preachers. Peter compared Noah's ark and salvation in it to Jesus Christ and salvation in him. 1 Peter 3.20 Peter compared Noah's ark and salvation by it to Christian baptism. 1 Peter 3.21 Isaiah compared the rainbow covenant promise to God's love of his church. Isaiah 54.9 The symbol of the covenant, rainbow, is matched by one of salvation, communion. Both are seen by God and man to remind the one and to remember by the other. When we say this cup is the New Testament, we tell the Lord together. It's a congregational ordinance. We all say together, Lord, we are trusting the shed blood of your Son for our salvation. And we do it every month. He sees it, we see it. And it's what He wants us to do for Him and for us. Jesus compared Noah's generation and ark to His 70 AD coming in Matthew 24. Lifting the curse of the ground was a hint at total future renovation into the glorious liberty of the children of God in Romans chapter 8, of a new heaven and a new earth. God was pleased with Noah's sacrifice to defer judgment, just like God was pleased with the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to defer judgment away from us. God told Noah of a curse upon Canaan, much like reprobation, and so the Bible tells us in Jude 1.4, there were certain men who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, just like Noah condemned his grandson. God told, oh, God, yes. Okay, here's how we're going to finish. That was just a, a partial list of things that if you look at Noah and God's deliverance of him from the flood and his covenant with Noah, 
that we have so much more in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And our salvation is, we're in Christ like Noah was in the ark. And God closed the door in both. And we can't change the number to increase it or decrease it in either place. Go to the end of this chapter, Genesis chapter 9. His covenant about the rainbow and never flooding the earth again runs from verse 8 to verse 17. Then there is a little history about Noah and his family. Then in verse 25, Noah curses Canaan, a, a son of Ham. But notice verse 26. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. And so it's through the Semites that the worship of God proceeded in the earth. In verse 26, blessed be the Lord God of Shem. And so the worship of God, including Eber, Abraham, Moses, David, the prophets, comes through these Semites coming out of Shem. Blessed be the Lord God of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant. Were the Canaanites the servants of the Semites? When they took the land of Canaan, yes, they were. But verse 27, God shall enlarge Japheth, the son that's going to grow the most and be the largest. And the most prosperous would be the Gentiles. And he shall dwell in the tents of Shem, and Canaan shall be his servant as well. But we have the Jewish church in verse 26, and we have the Gentiles added to it, so the Jewish church exploded in verse 27. And then Noah died, like the rest, but we have in germ form a hint about us right there in verse 27. God shall enlarge Japheth and he shall dwell in the tents of Shem. From whom did we hear the gospel of Jesus Christ? The apostle Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. I went through all of his travels around the Mediterranean area of this world. I, I read to you and showed you from the Bible that he wanted to go to Spain, that he may have gone to Britain itself. Right here. Noah comes down off the ark, and the Lord tells him a little bit about the future of the world's history through his three sons. Japheth's going to be huge. Japheth's going to find shelter in the tents of Shem. They're going to be part of the church that I'm going to keep alive down through the Semites, through Abraham and his descendants. Oh. Now, if you turn, is that chapter 9? Now, if I turn over to chapter 12. And this is to get you to come back next Sunday. Genesis, watch this. Was that 9, the end of 9? So I'm leaving 10 out and I'm leaving 11 out. We can skip the Tower of Babel for right now. Verse 1 of chapter 12. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred and from thy father's house unto a land that I will show thee. And I will make of thee a great nation. I will bless thee and make thy name great. And thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee. And in thee shall all families of the earth be blessed. And that is through the seed of Abraham, the Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me, please. <clears throat> 